you can be opening your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9. That's a great song. There's nothing as incredible as God's love for us. It's the reason He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. He loved us, wants to, to save us. And as a church family, we want people to know God's love. We want people to have a relationship with Christ. We want them to be saved. And, and I was reminded Sunday night of why this church made the decision almost 20 years ago to buy this property and relocate. Last Sunday evening I had an event here we called 2008 and Beyond in which I had invited all those who started attending this church or joined this church after 2008 because I wanted to share with them our, our journey and give them a sense of, of why we made the decision we made and, and, and that we had them in mind. And, and afterward, um, a young man came up talking to me. Um, he's... he's he and his wife are very active in our church. Some of you know them, uh, Chris and Pauline Young. and We just ordained him as a deacon. And he was telling me that in 1995, now remember it was 1996 when our church voted to buy this land and relocate. In 1995, he and Pauline got married and they weren't, they weren't saved, they weren't Christians. And he gave me permission to share the story. And he said we weren't believers. And, but we knew we needed to go to church and so that fall we attended First Baptist Church when you were downtown. And he said it was so crowded, we couldn't find a seat downstairs, so we went up to the balcony. And many of you who were here will remember we had three services back in those days. And he said we went up to the balcony and sat down, and in his words, it was uncomfortable because it was so crowded up there. And they ended up looking at other churches and eventually accepted Christ and were baptized at another church in years past. And then about 2012, God brought them to First Baptist. And I was reminded of all the things we were dealing with in the mid-1990s, the, the parking challenges and the, the challenges uh, to get through the hallways on Sunday morning and the classroom space and the worship center especially was, was so much smaller and limiting. And, and it just brought all of that back. And, and I wanted to share that with the church, particularly for those of you who were here in 1996, because I think on some level we need to be reminded that there was a reason we did what we did. And there's a reason we're here. We, we, we really felt we needed to have more space so we could reach more people. And that was, that was really important to us. It was on our heart. We wanted to, to have a future as a church that could impact more and more people. And, and Chris sharing that with me just reminded me that we made the right decision. We did the right thing. And God has blessed us in some incredible ways. And let's be honest. It took a lot of faith a lot of sacrifice, a lot of change, a lot of giving. And not every church is willing to do all of that. And as a pastor, I have the privilege of serving with the people that, that are willing to take a, a big step of faith with people who have given not only generously but some very sacrificially to make this happen. And as you preach, I just want to say to those of you who, who helped us take that step and make that journey, thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, we did the right thing, and God is honoring us for it. And, and that story was just kind of a reminder, and I just wanted to share that with you uh, this morning and say thank you and uh, just encourage you a little bit. Because you, you know something interesting that's happened because of all that? We have more faith 
today because we exercise faith then. The way you increase faith is to exercise the faith you already have. It's just like the way you build your muscles is to exercise the muscles you have right now. And, and we've grown in a lot of ways spiritually, and God's taught us a lot of things over the years. And this morning, as I preached this sermon that, I, that I've titled, You'll Be Glad You Did. Whenever God tells you to do something, whenever you're a generous giver, you'll be glad you obey God. You'll be glad you're a generous giver because you see God show up and do things. But he does it in our lives as well. And what I want to do is from these two chapters, just share with you some of the, the good things, the benefits that come to us because we take steps of faith and we are generous givers and, and just remind you that, that because of the good things that come to us, you can't help but be glad that you heard from God and you obey God. In, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, you'll remember the background is Paul is collecting this offering from Gentile Christians in what is today modern Greece and Turkey for Christians in Jerusalem. Those believers in Jerusalem were of Jewish background. They were poor and they were being persecuted. And so Paul's collecting this offering from Gentile Christians to alleviate the suffering, if you will, of the Christians in Jerusalem and to strengthen the bonds of fellowship between Jewish believers and Christian belief, Gentile believers. And, and he says... Good things are coming to everybody because of their obedience. Now, you and I can readily understand how his collecting this offering would benefit, would be a blessing to the saints in Jerusalem. It would alleviate their suffering, help them with food and other financial needs. And, and Paul talks about that. Look in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians for a moment at verse 14. He said, at this present time, your abundance is being a supply to their need. So your abundance, your ability to give is meeting the financial need, the physical need, the very real tangible need in the lives of those believers in Jerusalem. But then he says something that surprises us. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> he said, I'm giving my opinion in this matter, for it is to your advantage who were the first. In other words, he's saying to the believers who are actually giving, there are benefits, there are advantages there are things that happen in your life, there are experiences that come to you that make your generosity worth it. Now on the surface, it's really easy for us to look at the Christians in Jerusalem who would receive this financial gift and say, yeah, we get how that helped them. But it's a little bit more problematic for us to, on the surface anyway, look at the ones who were being generous and who were giving and identify what was the advantage to them. Other than just helping, how did they benefit? What were some of the good things that happened to them because they were generous givers? And so here during this campaign, we're asking God's people to give. People have given in the past to get us here. We're going to give in the future to finish this, to pay for it, and position the church for the future. What are some advantages beyond the loan being paid for and interest money being saved? What, what's, what are the advantages beyond being out of debt? Those are big advantages. But what are the other advantages that come to us as individual believers, that, that come to us as a family of faith, that go beyond just the loan and the debt and the numbers and the money? Because that's a big part of what Paul is talking about in this chapter. And so real quickly what I want to do is share with you some advantages some benefits that always come to God's people when we are generous and when we sacrifice and when we are givers more than we are takers. And the first is this. It makes us more like God. 
when we give and we're generous, it makes it, it, it makes us more like our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians again at verse 9. Now, in, in verse 8, he's talked about, hey, you show your love through giving. Then verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord, just like Will and Laurie were singing, the grace of God, the love of God. He said, you, you know the grace, you know the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was in heaven. He had everything at his fingertips. Though he was rich, he says, yet for your sake, for your benefit, he became what? Poor. He left the glory of heaven for the straw of a manger. Instead of walking on streets of gold, he walked on dusty roads. Instead of being in the Father's house, he was in a place of suffering and persecution here on earth. He was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. He, he left it all behind and came here for us so that through you, through his poverty, might become rich. And the Bible says that we as children of God are the heirs of God and everything that is his is ours. And it was all possible because Jesus was willing to, to make the ultimate sacrifice. Not only to leave heaven, but to die on a cross and bear our sin, my sin, your sin in his own body. He who was rich became poor so that we could share in his wealth. That's the heart of God. That's the grace of God. God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. That's God. And when we give and we have a generous spirit, that's when we are more like him. Yesterday, up in New York City, there was an auction. And they, they auctioned off the, the boxing gloves that Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston wore in 1965. That's the, the, the fight that was in, in Lewiston, Maine, the, the second fight between between the two, and, and Ali knocked Liston out in the first round. Those Both sets of boxing gloves were confiscated by the uh, boxing commission up there, and a few years ago, Ali autographed all four gloves, both sets. Yesterday, they were auctioned off in New York City as a pair, as, as a set, both, both, both pairs, a pair of gloves. How much do you think someone paid for those two sets of boxing gloves? What's your guess? Just under $1 million. Just under $1 million. Now, last year, there was another auction, and this is a photograph from the first Ali uh, Liston fight. This was before Ali converted to Islam and changed his name. He was Cassius Clay in this fight down in Miami Beach. Liston was the, you know, the heavyweight champion, the bear. He couldn't be beaten and Ali shocked the world by knocking Liston out in the middle of that fight. The gloves that Ali wore, just his pair of gloves, not both sets, just his pair of gloves from that first fight, were sold at auction last year. How much do you think they brought? Over $800,000. Now, I'm not criticizing the people who bought those gloves and paid that much money for them. I, you know, you know. There are people who have more money than they know what to do with it, and they, you know, they collect stuff. I collect stuff. All of us collect stuff. And some of you would think it's crazy for me to spend money getting some of the stuff I, I get, you know, and it's nothing like that. But, you know, yeah, I'm, I, see, I'm, I'm going to Athens, Georgia next month to watch my cats beat up on the Bulldogs. I'm spending money to do that. 
It won't cost me $800,000, but it's going to cost me, you know, it's going to cost me a couple hundred dollars. All right. Some of you think that's silly, but hey, I'm going to be there and shout and scream in the midst of all that Georgia Bulldog red with my Kentucky blue, and I'm going to have a blast. Okay. We all, so I'm not criticizing those guys. Okay. But which do you think is more like God? Someone who collects or someone who gives? Which is more Christ-like? Using my resources pretty much just for me or investing in the kingdom of God and things that make an eternal difference in people's lives and in this world? See, that's what Paul is saying to these Corinthian believers. When you give, you participate in what God's doing by giving your money. You're acting more like God than when you are not generous. And, and individual believers and churches collectively, we, all of that is true to individuals and to churches. Here's a second benefit. The first one is we, we're more like God when we're generous givers. The second benefit is we become well-rounded disciples. Look at verse 7. He said, just as you abound, you prosper, you have a lot of, you do really well in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, earnestness, love. See that you abound in this gracious work also, the work of this offering. And what Paul is saying there is to these Corinthian believers, in so many ways you have it together. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, there are so many of these important spiritual disciplines. You abound in them. You have a lot of it. You are doing great. You're big in these things. In other words, you abound in faith. You have a lot of faith. He said you abound in earnestness. There's a sincerity about you. There's a determination about you. There's a realness about you. An eagerness about you. He said, you, you abound in utterance. A lot of people in your church, he says, have a, have a gift for communicating, for speaking, teachers and preachers and witnesses, just good at talking to people. A lot of that in your church. Love. You abound in love. You care about one another. He said, see to it that you also abound in this gracious discipline of giving. Because if you don't become well-rounded in these spiritual disciplines, you're like a Christian who's kind of walking lopsided. You're big over here and real weak over here. And we don't want that. Be well-rounded. Be complete. Be full. You see, growing and abounding in generosity and giving, that speaks to all kinds of things in our Christian life. It speaks to trust. It speaks to values and priorities. It speaks to how we make decisions, what we care about. It speaks to, to, to vision. It speaks to the heart of God. It speaks to a lot of stuff. And so he says, if you really want to be a mature Christian, a well-rendered one, not a lopsided one, just as you grow in these other disciplines, you need to also grow in your financial management. You need to grow in your generosity. You need to grow and abound in the gift of giving. Wednesday night, Wednesday, you know, I had these uh, coffee with the pastors where people could come and ask questions about the campaign and so on. And during one of those sessions, uh, a man in our church, uh, I think he and his family have been here seven, eight years, something like that. 
was talking to me when we were alone. He was sharing with me their journey of moving from, you know, not really being givers to tithing and how that was a process. It was a journey of growth and to get to where they are today. And then we talked about the campaign and stuff. And, and see, that's what God wants. God, God wants us to grow and become more balanced and more well-rounded and, and not just say, all right, God, you know what? I'm going to grow in every area of my Christian life. But when it comes to, you know, this hands off. I'm not going to grow there. I'm going to stay like a child there. I'm going to stay the way I am there. God, you can't have... God, I'm I'm okay walking with a limp. I'm okay spending my whole Christian life lopsided because, God, you're developing all of these muscles, but, God, you can't have these muscles. And God says, I want you to be a well-rounded disciple. Just as you abound in these other things, also abound in generosity and in giving. That's a, that's a benefit. A third benefit is being a generous giver makes our, our love real. It's more than just words. Look at uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. At the end of that verse, he talks about proving the sincerity of your love. The sincerity of your love. Look at verse 24, the last verse in chapter 8. He said, therefore, openly before the churches... Show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting in you. You see, there are times when a church family is collectively seeking to do something for the kingdom of God that everyone who is a part of that church needs to participate and publicly say, I'm with it, I'm supporting it, I'm part of it, I'm doing my part. Because just as we individually show our love and prove our love, and that's what he talks about here, demonstrating your love, show it. Don't just say it, show it. Churches do the same thing. When half the people in a church don't participate, don't give, don't help, it weakens the love of that church. And so he says, show your love. Put something behind the words. Monisa and I will be taking Jacqueline and the kids to Baltimore this week for their return flight to Italy. And Liam... Early in March, March 6th, March 6th is his birthday, right? Y'all nod at me. Okay. March 6th. Hey, I'm an old man. I forget stuff. March 6th is his birthday. He turns five. So we had a dinner, a little party for him last night at the house. And uh, he likes that uh, Disney Plains movie, so cake decorated. And we wore these silly hats and, you know, decorations hanging everywhere and, you know, and you just you just have fun and you do it and you spend the money. You know, grandparents, that's what you do. I said that last week. You know, grandparents, you see something you want for your grandkids, you just buy it. That's how you are. You know, why? Why do you do that? That's what love does. That's what love does. Jesus, I love you with all my heart, but not with my money. Jesus, I love you with all my heart but not with my checkbook. Jesus, I love you with all my heart, but not with my job, not with my investments, not with my career, not with whatever it is. I love you with everything, but... He said, show, demonstrate, prove the sincerity of your love so that it's more than just words. And you you know know the thing about love? You have fun doing it. 
That's the reason we saw the verse last week that God loves a cheerful, hilarious giver. When you are in love with Christ, you have fun serving Him. You have fun doing what He's calling you to do. You have fun growing. Is it always easy? No. But it's always fun in the end. And you look back and you're glad you did it. Here's another benefit that comes to us as Christians when we're generous givers. Not only does it make our love real, but it makes us an inspiration to other believers. That's really the point of these two chapters. The Corinthians were one of the first churches to commit to this offering. Paul leaves. He's going to come back in over a year and collect it. And meanwhile, he's up in Macedonia, which is the northern region of Greece. And the churches there, he planted our Philippi, Book of Philippians, and... uh, um, Thessalonica, the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and he's telling these Macedonian believers about the, the the eagerness of the Corinthians to participate in this offering for the Christians in Jerusalem, and their example, their early commitment inspires, motivates the Macedonians, and these Macedonians, even though they're poor and they're also persecuted, beg with Paul for the privilege of giving. They're inspired by what the Corinthians had done, and now. Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians because he'll be there in a little while to collect what they're supposed to be collecting, what they said they were going to collect and give. And so in this letter he says, hey, your example inspired the Macedonians. And now like a full circle he's saying their giving, their generous giving, giving beyond their means should inspire you to finish what you started, to follow through with what you promised. Complete it. Do it. You do understand, don't you, that each of us as disciples of Jesus Christ influence other disciples and that each of us individually influence this church for good or for bad. You come in here on Sunday morning, your Sunday school room is practically empty, the worship center is practically empty. How do you feel? That's a bummer. But you come in and you see people and they're smiling and they're happy to be there and they're excited to see you. Room's not empty. How do you feel? You're encouraged. You ever have one of those Sundays when you woke up and, eh, I don't know if I go to church today or not. You just you, you, you were having all those mixed feelings. It'd be so easy just to stay in bed today and maybe occasionally you give in to that. But this one Sunday you got up and you got ready and you got here. And once you got here when it was done, you were so glad you made it. You felt better. Because there's something about the presence of God's people He uses to encourage us in our walk with Jesus Christ. And when when all of us as the people of God, all of us who are a part of this family of faith participate, we show up and we do our part. It encourages other believers. And when we stay away and we don't do our part, brothers and sisters, whether you've ever thought about it or not, it discourages people. It discourages me. It discourages your staff. It discourages Sunday school teachers. It discourages other brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. And we have a responsibility to to build one another up in the faith, to inspire and motivate and help one another because it's so much easier to do this thing called the Christian life with others than it is alone. You're needed. You matter. You make a difference. And you have a responsibility to inspire other believers. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or whatever place in between. 
you consider yourself to be. What matters is you showing up and doing your part for the kingdom of God and for your church at that moment in your life with where you are. That matters, and it makes a difference. All right? Another reason, another benefit to being a generous giver is that it leads to God receiving praise and thanksgiving. Chapter 9, look at verses 11 and following. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verse 11, he said, You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. To the Corinthians, because of your liberality, your generosity, God's going to enrich you in so many ways. It's not just about money. God's going to meet your needs, but God's going to bless you in so many ways. Now, he continues in verse 11, Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. As we tell the story of your commitment and your faithfulness, people are, are giving thanks and praise to God. He says in verse 12, For the ministry of this service, talking about the offering he's collecting, is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, those in Jerusalem who are poor, but it is, it is also overflown, over, overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry that will glorify God, who the saints in Jerusalem will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll say, man, they're real Christians. And they'll give glory to God. And because of the liberality or the generosity of your contribution to them and to all others, they will pray. So what he's saying is these Christians in Jerusalem, when they hear about what you're doing, they're going to give praise to God. It's going to be a celebration in the worship service, and they're going to pray for you. One of the benefits is that God gets the glory when you trust him enough to obey him and be a generous giver. Because God just shows up and does stuff. Friday morning I was having breakfast with one of my accountability and advisory teams, and I got permission to share this. Jim Davis sitting down here was in that group. In fact, there's other guys. Michael Baker over here was in that group. and uh, Six guys meeting with me that morning. We got talking about the campaign. And um, Jim and I, you know, being the old people, the longtime members, we got to reminiscing a little bit. And... Uh, Jim got to telling about something that happened even before I became pastor. This church, when it was downtown in the early 80s, built a family life center, and they, they, they had their very first capital campaign. Any of you who were here then remember what it was called? Now, Jim, you be quiet. Any of you others remember what it was called back in the early 80s, that first capital campaign? Anybody remember? Huh? Loudly. Together, together we build. That's what it was called. And the commitments ended up being, I think, a little bit over $400,000, four dollars four five hundred thousand, somewhere in that range, which was really good, and it was successful for that point in time in the church's life over a three-year period. And Jim and uh, his wife, Andrea, who's now in heaven, they were younger, and the kids were young, and they had, you know, so things were a lot different way back then. I mean, that's, 90, that's, over, that's over 30 years ago, a long time ago. His hair wasn't gray then. And uh, they felt impressed to give $5,000 to the campaign, but they didn't know where it was going to come from. The campaign was being conducted in the fall of the year. They went home for Thanksgiving. North Carolina. North Carolina home. And I forget whether it was your brother or whoever it was that was talking to you there. He bought some property um, sometime before that and asked Jim if he would be interested in selling some of the timber on it to kind of thin it out. It needed thinning. So would you be interested in selling the timber, the timber, some of the timber on it to thin it out? And he said, yeah. And later when they got the check for that timber, you got any idea how much the check was for? His part? $5,700. Isn't that just like God? 
They gave the whole thing. Of course, given a lot more since then too, but gave the whole thing. And we're sitting there talking about that, and Jimmy Cato, who's in our first service, was at the table, and, and we were sharing this. Jim was sharing that story, and Jim said, you know, one thing I've learned over the years is that you can never outgive God. And so we just spent a few moments in our conversation bragging on Jesus because he just does stuff. He just shows up and helps when we have enough faith to believe him, to trust him, to obey him, to say, okay, God, yes. And like we said a few weeks ago, six million in six years doesn't make sense on paper, but it's what God's put on our heart. It's the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. God can do it. When we make ourselves available to him, God shows up. And he gets the glory because he's the one who does it when we allow ourselves to be his vessel. And you don't, listen, you don't ever get to share those kind of stories of God doing that kind of stuff in your life if you never take steps of faith and obedience. Did you hear what I just said? You never get to share those kind of stories from your own life because they don't happen. You don't take steps of faith and obedience. And I know some of y'all worry I'm going to fall off this stage one day. But sometimes, do you know what faith is? It's God's telling you to stand right there. And it'd be a whole lot safer, make a whole lot more sense to stand back here. But sometimes God is saying, do you trust me enough to put your toe out there? And God's saying to some of you right now, do you trust him enough to put your toe out there? Don't put it out there if he doesn't tell you to, but if God tells you to put it out there, put it out there, brothers and sisters. Put it out there. Because God wants to show up in your life. He wants to do some things in your life. He gets praise and he gets glory and thanksgiving. One last last thing is, is, and it leads naturally from this, is Being generous givers allows God to bless and provide for us. It allows God to show up. Look at chapter 9, verse 6. He said, This I say to you, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I mean, faith and blessings, they go together. It's not all financial blessings. It is financial blessings, but it's other kind of blessings as well. Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything... God will provide what you need, sufficiency. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Sometimes sometimes God blesses you beyond what you need, and it's for the purpose of good deeds. I want everybody to turn their heads and look right to this back corner of the room. You see that big blue banner hanging top of the wall that says resource investment? God's given us all these resources, the time, our life, our days, our talents, our skills, our abilities, our treasures, our money, our, our investments, all of that. And the biblical teaching is that, yes, God's going to provide for us and bless us and, and, and make things that be sufficient what we need, but God gives us many times beyond what we need, and it's not just so we can have more to collect more, it is so we can invest. That's the reason it's resource investment as our passion. Investing what God gives us, he says here, look at it again. What does he say there at the end of that verse? For good deeds, 
God gives us stuff so we can turn around and invest it in the kingdom and in His mission and in His work and in His service and in the lives of other people. Not just so we can collect more toys. And when God blesses us, our life gets easier, yes, and we have more stuff. But if it's all about me just getting more and more and more, I don't understand the gospel. Because he clearly says here, an abundance beyond what is sufficient. So you can do good deeds. You can make a difference in this world. And you know that sometimes God will give us a small blessing to check us out and see what we do with it. Because Jesus said, the one who's faithful in the least will be faithful in what? The much. And the one who's not faithful in the least will not be faithful in the what? Much. Sometimes God's just checking you out before He gives the big blessing to see what you will do with the little one. Because if you don't do it with the little one, you probably won't do a whole lot with the big one either. See, it's not a matter, like I said, I, I don't know if I preached it in this service or the last one, so if I repeated it, if this is a repeat, forgive me, but I'm going to say it anyway. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or anywhere in between. Did I say that in this service? I'm going to say it again. Whether you're rich or poor or anywhere in between, that's not the issue. The issue is do you bring to the table you? Do you bring to the table all that's a part of you, whether it's here or there on the, continu- on the continuum of how much stuff people have. Do you bring you and what you have because every person and every every gift matters. Because in God's eye, what you do is not big or little based on how much you give or how much service you render. In God's eyes, it's based on you and where you are in life. Do you get that? Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. And we're asking everyone who's a part of this church to make a commitment for, to this 6 and 6 campaign for the next three years. And there will be a chest here at the front during the invitation. You'll be invited to come and drop your commitment card in the offering. Now, let me say something in, in this chest. This commitment is not a contract. It is you saying at this moment in time, this is my best understanding of what I believe God wants us to do. And you can change that at any moment in time. We're not legalists. We're not Pharisees. But expressing by faith and love what you believe God wants you to do and drop it in there. And there's uh, commitment cards in the back of some of these chairs. Some of them probably were taken in the first service. There's a privacy envelope. They were in the bulletins last Sunday. And everybody who's a member of this church, you'll receive one in the mail this week in full transparency. We want you to bring your commitment card with you next week. But here's what I want you to do between now and then. I want you to pray. I want you to seek God. I want you to ask God to show you what step of faith He wants you to take. Ask God to show you how He wants you to participate and be part of what He's doing here. How much He wants you to commit. How much He wants you to give over the next three years. And to help you that, tonight we're going to have a prayer event. I'll talk about that in just a minute a little bit more. A prayer event. I want you to come and pray. This coming week, fasting. There's a guide in your bulletin. If you didn't get one on the way in, on the way out, pick up a bulletin and get this fasting guide to help you. And you can determine how to fast and what day you're going to fast. And again, I'll say more about that in a moment. 
And ladies, this week it's your turn. Last week the guys came up here and they got one of these coins. And every time we fill it in our pocket, we're to pray for the church and for the 6 and 6 campaign. Today we have about 150 keychains up here. And ladies, you get first crack at the keychains, okay? And you coming during this invitation and picking up one of these keychains is your commitment to pray for this church and for this 6 and 6 campaign. So you will know they are lightweight. We made them small and very lightweight so they wouldn't hurt anybody's ignition, okay? So they're not big, bulky, heavy things. But they have the 6 and 6 logo. Come up here. They're in these pouches. Come up here and get you one during the invitation. It's your commitment to pray. And you know what will happen? I've had conversations with several men this week, those of us who have these coins, and every time we fill it in our pocket, yeah, we pray for the church and for the campaign. You know what, what all the guys I've talked to have told me? Every time we do that, we end up praying for more than the church. We pray for our kids, for our, for our wives. We pray for things at work because prayer begets praying. Prayer leads to more praying. And ladies, every time you dig this out of your purse and you know, open the door of the house or you know, you know, start the car and you see this, you're going to pray for this church. But I promise you, you'll, you'll end up whispering other prayers as well. And it's just a good prompt to pray. So during invitation is a commitment to pray for this church and for this campaign. Come up here and get you one of these keychains. Pastors are going to be here at the front when we sing. You can come and, you know, join this church because listen to me. Some of you are looking for a church that's willing to take big steps of faith. And that's, that's willing to look beyond just itself and staying the same and being okay with what is and isn't interested in more and God touching more people and God caring about people in this community. And if that's the kind of church you want, that's this church. I mean, we're here now instead of downtown making all the sacrifices we've made because we think God loves everybody and we want everybody in this community that he can use us to reach to be reached. And so come and join this church and help us on this journey to making a difference in Rock Hill and beyond. And some of you need Christ. I mean, that amazing love of Jesus dying on the cross was so you could be saved. And we, we want you to know Christ and His love. And so when we sing this song, come to one of these pastors and say, Hey, Pastor, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I need to be saved. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ.